Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'll invite you to take them out and turn to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians. If you're using the red uh, pew Bible in front of you, uh, it should be page 952. We're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 16, the whole chapter this morning. <clears throat> and we are continuing our series on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We've uh, taken a more practical turn, uh, not just talking about the theory of discipleship and what it means to be a disciple, but, uh, but actually how we can do that, how we can witness uh, today to uh, the glory of Jesus Christ and to his goodness. Um, the world kind of has an interesting way of thinking about uh, things like sharing a message. Uh, maybe you've heard of an elevator speech or an ele elevator presentation. And the idea behind an elevator presentation is, you know, if somebody gets onto the elevator with you, you maybe have 30 seconds to share with them an essential message to get to the point quickly. And some business practices, some salesmen will attempt to hone their uh, their message uh, so that it, it, it is all out in 30 seconds and it's uh, it's. Uh, you know, a good message, you get to the point quickly, and it's exciting, and, and so, you know, that's one way that people say, you know, you got 30 seconds to make your impact, go for it. Um, and so, uh, you know, another way that people look at it, another way that people look at getting a message across is more like this, and this is a way that I think a lot of Christians think about uh, sharing Jesus, and that's like, like you're a chef in a restaurant, and uh, you know, the meal has been prepared, and right before the meal goes out, they'll put a little bit of garnish on top of it, uh, of the meal, and then they'll send it out. And sometimes as Christians, we will think about things or sharing Jesus as, you know, we have this 30-second sales pitch, and we got to get to the point quickly, and that's all we've got. Or we'll, we'll treat Jesus and sharing the message of Christ as simply just a garnish on top of something else. And so maybe we'll sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in on things. But, you know, the scriptures actually give us a much more fuller way of thinking about and talking about uh, Jesus Christ and, and encouraging us to be a, a better witness to Jesus Christ. And so we see that here uh, in this passage. And it's, it's not a sales pitch. Let me just encourage you. As Christians, we are not to give sales pitches to others about Jesus. We're not trying to convince them uh, about how, just how wonderful everything is if you just buy this product. That's not what we're trying to do. We do want to get to the glory of Jesus and tell people about how wonderful he is, but not as a salesman uh, just trying to get another sale under our belt, and not as a chef just garnishing something and sprinkling a little bit of Jesus on things. No, actually, Jesus needs to be the meat. He needs to be the entree. He needs to be everything. And so I think the scriptures encourage us to do that today. Uh, I want to encourage us in our conversations for Jesus' sake. Uh, so again, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, and we'll read all of it, and then we'll pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding his word. Here's what Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages 
for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding his word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today, and we pray that you would that you would get to the heart of the matter, which is our very hearts, that you would reveal to us our sin nature, uh, that you would reveal to us uh, our tendencies to run away from you, but that also you would reveal to us your goodness and your grace to us, that we might share that grace with others. Lord, help us to see these things more clearly through your word, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning I want to look at this passage in three ways. Uh, first of all, I want you to, to think about how to witness in terms of knowing the sim- simplicity of the Son. Knowing the simplicity of the Son. And imagine this. Imagine you have the opportunity to meet a very important person. You know, whoever that might be, whoever it is that you look up to in this life, someone that you would be very excited to meet. Imagine meeting that person and having an opportunity, maybe on that elevator, to have a short conversation with them. Wouldn't you go and then tell other people about meeting that very important person? And wouldn't you, for the rest of your life, have that story to share? And you would tell all the little intricate details of that. Well, what about the person that really knows that very important person? What about the person that is, is a relative to that very important person? What if they had the opportunity to give... Uh, not just a story about them, but an interview about their lives. Wouldn't they know deeply the things of that person? And wouldn't they want to share as much as they could the most intimate details so that other people would know that very important person the way that this relative of them would? Here's the point that I want to make in saying this. If you don't really know Jesus, then you can't tell other people about Jesus. You can't give away what you don't have. And here's what Paul says. Uh, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because Paul had met Jesus Christ and knew Jesus Christ, he could then give away Jesus Christ. You can't give away what you don't have. If you don't know Jesus, of course you're not going to tell people about Jesus. But the opposite of that is true. If you do know Jesus, won't you be telling people about him because you know him and who he is? 
Well, what does Paul say that he knew about Jesus? Not just that he knew about Jesus, but that he knew Jesus. Look there again at verse 2. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He gives actually two categories of things that he knew. He knew Jesus Christ. Jesus, that's his name, and then Christ is his title. And you're told something even in those two words about what he knew. That is, he knew the person of Jesus Christ. He knew that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He knew deep theology about Jesus. Not that he was any old man, but that he was the one with whom the Father delighted in. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He knew him, God in the flesh. Not a God, the God. But then he also knew that he was the Christ the Messiah, the one who was promised from Genesis 3.15 on, the one that would come to save sinners from their sin. He knew the person of Jesus Christ. But then he also knew him crucified, and that's another way of saying that he knew the work of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ came to do, the person and work of Jesus. What did Jesus come to do? He came to go and die on the cross for the sake of atoning for the sin of sinful humans like us who deserve nothing but the wrath of God. He knew those things. He knew who Jesus was and what he came to do. Um. I want you to ask this question, and I want you to try to answer this question. Why was it necessary for Jesus to die? Because that's what the gospel accounts over and over and over get across to us, especially in the gospel of John. Jesus says, I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to go to the cross. Why did Jesus have to die? If Jesus was merely a guru to give you advice, there's no reason for him to die. If he was just a philosopher just telling you how the, the way that the world worked in metaphysical terms, then there was no reason for him to die. No, Jesus had to die. He had to go to the cross in order to save sinners from their sin. Jesus didn't deserve to die, and yet he gave up his life for us. He did it to accomplish our salvation, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, let's, let's get practical this doesn't have to be a lofty thing. This doesn't have to be a deep philosophical conversation. As a matter of fact, Paul says that here in these few verses. He says, I didn't come talking in lofty ways or in grand speech or using philosophical categories or in a lot of worldly wisdom. I didn't do those things. But he came simply talking about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So what's the first step? Know Jesus Christ. Do you know him? You want to know him? Read about him in the Word. That's where you go to learn about Jesus Christ. And then, when you read about Jesus, you need to get to know who you are, a sinner deserving the wrath of God. You need to know what your sin deserved and what Jesus Christ did to save you from your sins. And then you need to live out that reality. That you did not get what you deserved, but Jesus got what you deserved. He took what you should have gotten on himself. And live that out in humility. Live that out as you go and serve people. Not treating people as they deserve. Because you have not been treated as you deserve. How do you witness to Christ? You go and you tell them, I have not received what I should have gotten. And I can give away what I have received. Uh, really quick story about that. I remember hearing some missionary, or a short-term missionaries going. and uh, They went to a third world country in South, uh, South America. 
And they were instructed, you know, as soon as you get off the plane, there are going to be people that are going to be there asking you for money. They're going to be asking you for money. Don't give them money because as soon as you give one money, they're going to flock to you and you won't be able to get away from them. Don't give them any money. That, you know, that's what they were told. They got off the plane and there was this short-term uh, missionary group. Uh, and there was a man that was there that was fairly wealthy. Uh, and, and he made it a point. He held on to his wallet. He wasn't going to give any money away. And there was another man there who was a plumber who did not have, he wasn't himself very wealthy. Uh, he didn't have a great education, and somebody came up to him and said, Sir, can I have a dime? And he said, A dime? Absolutely. I can give you a dime. I've been given so much more by Jesus. Let me tell you all about Jesus. And the rest of the group was shamed. This man asked for a dime, and he said, Let me give you a dime, and let me give you even more. Let me give you Jesus. All right. It's just a reminder to us. You can't give away what you don't have. If you have Jesus, you need to give him away. It doesn't have to be big lofty speech it doesn't have to be anything prepared or anything you've really thought through that well other than just knowing Jesus and knowing who you are and what he's done for you that's the first thing I want you to do know the simplicity of the son Jesus Christ secondly I want you to know the mystery of the father know the mystery of the father look in verses 6 through 9 Paul says this yet among the mature we do impart wisdom although it's not a wisdom of this age uh, or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. In giving away Jesus Christ, we can capture the imagination of individuals. Because everyone wants to know the secret, don't they? Doesn't everybody want to know the secret? I think uh, recently there have been two individuals, and you know, this is... Not just recently, throughout all of ages, every, you know, every age it's ever been. Uh, people have tried to capitalize on that idea of the secret, right? So a few years ago, you know, 13 years ago now, Oprah Winfrey capitalized on that by coming out with The Secret and promoting the book The Secret, which, uh, which one, uh, one person wrote said, well, you know, she would promote it as this is the new secret and the new thing that you need to know in this uh, the one that criticized this and did a critique of the book said, well, it's not new and it's really not a secret. There's the power of positive thinking, which has been around forever, a long, long time. But she said, you know, the secret, the secret, the secret. And if you can just live your life according to the secret, then all things are going to be okay. And Oprah made millions of dollars peddling the secret. Uh, maybe even billions of dollars peddling that secret. But then more recently, there's a man named Jordan Peterson, uh, you know, who has been popular in conservative circles uh, for, for what he promotes. Uh, and he wrote a book and came out last year, and a lot of young men have read it, called The Twelve Rules for Life. Jordan Peterson essentially is offering the same thing that Oprah offers. She just offers it from a, pr a progressive standpoint. He offers it from a conservative. Essentially, it's about taking responsibility for your life and being re responsible. Neither of them are secrets. Neither of them uh, are really all that mysterious, but they peddle it as if it is some kind of deep mystery because people want to know the secret of life and the mystery of life. And here, Paul kind of tantalizes us with this. I, verse 7 again, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Oh boy, don't you want to know? Don't you want to know the secret wisdom of God? You know, the things that have been withheld from others, but but, you know, those on the inside kind of can have this. You, you kind of, okay, you lean in a little bit closer. What's the secret? Tell me the secret. It's this mystery. It's this mystery that people have been trying to figure out for ages and ages and ages. And Paul says, well, 
I'm going to tell you what the secret is. So what's the secret? Here's the mystery. The mystery is, in verse 7, that God decreed before the ages for our glory this salvation from Jesus Christ. Here is the secret. Here's the answer to understanding how everything works in the world and why everything is working the way that it does work because God the Father has decreed it. Here's what you need to do, and here's how practical this is in in entering into the lives of individuals as they're trying to figure out why their lives are so messed up and why things are so hard. Jordan Peterson, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, they basically say, well, things are the way that they are because you have messed up your life in some way, and if you just work really hard, if you just think positively enough, you can turn things around, go do it. And then, as Oprah found out, a woman decided that when she got cancer... In 2007, she would just think positively enough and her cancer would be healed. And of course, she died in 2010. And Oprah had to go back and say, don't just think positively. Go get treatment. She had to go back and was inconsistent. It wasn't about just thinking enough. And we have the answer. Why does sin make a wreck of the world? And why has it made a wreck of your life and the lives of the ones you love? Because these are the things that have been decreed by God from from the foundation of the world for our glory, he says in verse 7. But there's more to it than that. It's about the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's what he says in verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. God has decreed the things that he has decreed the mysterious and secret things, all things that have come to pass, God has decreed for the sake of showing forth the glory of Jesus Christ. You know, at various times, uh, you know, we have the benefit of seeing this in news reports. A bright streak will cross the the night sky or the daylight sky. Uh, This happens in Russia more often than anywhere else. I don't know why it's in Russia, but a big bright streak will go through the sky. And, and I want you to imagine yourself as a cow in a field and a bright streak grows, goes across the sky. And what do you do as a cow? You might look up and then you look back down. <laughs> you don't care about it one bit. But if you're a human, you try to figure out what that thing was because you were made for glory. And a bright streak in the sky is something that is glorious and you want to know what that thing is and you, you will discover, you will go to the very ends of the earth, and humans will to try to discover what that glorious thing was. As a human, you were made for glory. You were made to know the glory of God. You were made to tell others about the glory of God. That's why I love the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is the secret The secret revealed, your life is made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Go and share that with people. Share the glory of God with others. All right. The third thing I want you to see here is that we need to know the searching spirit. Know the searching spirit. This is the longest section from uh, 10 through uh, 16, through verses 10 through 16. And oh man, there... These are some deep, deep, important things. Uh, As I was working on this this week, I thought, man, I could spend 10 weeks on just this one chapter. I'm not going to do it. But go back and read these things and plumb the depths of the things that Paul says in this. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. 
How do we know Jesus Christ? Because he's revealed it to us through the Spirit. How do we know the decrees of God and the secret and mysterious things of God? He has given those things to us through the Spirit. That's how we know the person and work of Jesus. That's how we know the Father. And that's how we know the Spirit. The Spirit has revealed the mystery of God to us. Look at, um, look at verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. You know, the promise of giving the spirit is not that we would understand everything. There are still some things that are hidden from us and secret. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever and ever. That God has revealed certain things to us and we have those things and need to share those things with our children, with our family, with the people around us. He has given us those things. There are some things that are still hidden from us. We don't know all of the answers to everything. But the things that he has revealed to us, we know the answers to those things. And look, look at how he says it. That we might understand the things freely given to us. God has not withheld the knowledge of these things from his people. God has freely given us all the information that we need in order to share that with others. And some people think, and there are some Christians that think, oh, well, you know, this is for only those that are filled with the Spirit. Those, this is for the really spiritual ones. And they might even look at this in verse 13. We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And they hear that and they think, well, what Paul's talking about here is something that is only meant for the really super spiritual people. You know, pastors and teachers and people that sit and study theology all day and all night. Not for just normal Christian like me. That's what some people think. Some people think, um, you know, I've got the spirit, but I don't have as much as some other people do. That reminds me of my favorite cheer at uh, any sporting event where the cheerleaders started on one side and they say, we got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? And of course, the, uh, the opposite side, they're supposed to respond. We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? And it goes back and forth and back and forth until one of the groups finally says, we got more. And then somehow or another, that's, that settles it. You know, I don't know why that is. But the question is, you know, do you have spirit or do you have the spirit? Well, what Paul encourages us here is that there are not some Christians that have more spirit than others. There are not some super spiritual Christians and some who are less spiritual. But that every single one of us, Paul includes us in this. Look at what he says. The natural person doesn't, this is verse 14, the natural person doesn't accept the things of the spirit for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Here's what we're told here. That if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been filled with the Spirit. There's no such thing as a second class Christian. One who has less spirit than, uh, than someone else. You have been given everything you need by the, by the Spirit to go and to share spiritual things with those who are spiritual. Now, let me just give uh, an addendum to that. There's this saying out there that maybe you've heard, maybe you've used, and it goes like this. Um, 
shoot, you know, share the gospel at all times and if necessary use words. Share the gospel at all times and if necessary use words. That is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi uh, and uh, one, uh, the man who started the Franciscan order, um, uh, All Creatures of Our God and King. He wrote that song if you uh, know that one. Um, it's wrongly contributed to him because St. Francis never said that. And then some people say, well, it was the Franciscan monks and the Catholic order of the monks that actually are the ones that came up with that. But you can go back and read the Franciscan writings, and no one of the Franciscan ever says that. That is a, um, that is a little pithy statement that should be just stricken from the language of all Christians. Uh, because look at what Paul says. We impart this in words. We are not able as Christians to impart the gospel outside of using actual words. Paul did not come merely serving for the sake of Jesus. He did serve for the sake of Jesus. But he used words in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We must use the words of the gospel as we share this testimony. We impart the things freely given to us by God in words. If you've been given the Spirit of God, if you claim to be a Christian, if your confession of faith is that you believe in Jesus, then you should have the Spirit filled up to the very top, overflowing like we did with the children's sermon a few minutes ago. You have that Spirit. Now, go and share Jesus with others. Um, so here's the thing as we conclude this. I want you to be encouraged to go share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Um, I watched a show that just ended recently called The Good Place, and I was um, fascinated by this show because it was about where people end up when they die. And it was uh, the, the creator of it, Michael Shore, is dealing with some deep philosophical truths, and he's trying to work out what it means to be a human and what it means to die. What's interesting about this show uh, is that they got some things right about human depravity and how wicked humanity is and the reality that no human actually deserves to go to heaven. His cop-out, though, was, well, if we don't really, any of us really deserve to go to heaven, well, we should all end up there anyway, and that's kind of what happens. But then, ultimately, fascinatingly, what happens is when everybody ends up in heaven, they get bored to tears, bored to tears, and so they are in the good place, living for eternity, and they're looking around going, all we get is good milkshakes, and that's pretty much it? It's a fascinating thing, and it gets down to the nature of who we are as humans, that we're going to be bored. Well, the ultimate problem with Michael Shore and with the good place and with the things that they were presenting was that they were completely focused on themselves. They were completely focused on who they were. And they were bored because they had nothing to live for other than what they wanted. Here's my point in saying that. As Christians, you have been given not just milkshakes, but a person, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, to live for, to be captivated by him for eternity. And indeed, you were made to be captivated by Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That is what you were made for. And that's what everyone in your family was made for. That's what every human being ever born throughout the history of the world has ever been made for, to be captivated by the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. In Jesus, you have the one that can keep us from boredom for eternity. Go share him with others.
share the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word, and we pray that you would encourage us to go and share the Lord of glory, uh, to tell others about how wonderful he is. But Lord, we can't do that if we have not ourselves seen his glory. I pray that you would encourage us with that today, that our hearts and minds, our imaginations would be captivated by you, our great God of glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.